Thank you for listening to the only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. Hi, this is Phil LaFoy. I'm one of the partners with Blunt Discount Pharmacy and Blunt Specialty Pharmacy in Maribel, Alcoa, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Hey, we got a great show today on the Pharmacy Podcast regarding specialty pharmacy. I'm going to be interviewing a pharmacy leader owner, Blunt Specialty Pharmacy. One of the partners there is Phil LaFoy and Ron Lanton with True North Political Solutions will be interviewing Phil about his business. But before that, I want to note a consulting organization called North Highland Worldwide Consulting out of Atlanta, Georgia. They have a YouTube video out called Tapping the Potential of Specialty Pharmacy. And I want to highlight this. Tina Erig, their vice president, talks about the potential of specialty pharmacy. Tapping the potential of specialty pharmacy. North Highland was able to come in and work with an academic medical center to improve their specialty pharmacy results from a 30% market share to a 62% market share in, in a condensed time frame. We were also able to improve their margin by over 300%. Providers today are under intense cost pressures. They've investigated ways and uncovered ways to reduce costs but at the same time, they need to think about new ways to create revenue. We have identified an area, pharmacy, specialty pharmacy in particular, that gives them an avenue for a new revenue stream in a very intense environment. The traditional approach to margin improvement is that many companies come in and do a six to eight week assessment. This process is slow, and oftentimes it doesn't allow you to realize the value as originally envisioned in the business case. North Highland's approach to this engagement was different than some of the traditional companies. We were able to come in and quickly, within one and a half weeks, identify strategies to make an impact right away. The key benefits that we delivered uh, out of this engagement were, first and foremost, improved margin results. What was unique about how we delivered them is we did it in a very rapid time frame. We were given initially 55 days, and we not only delivered results within that time period, the other thing that we did is we improved patient outcomes. Pharmacy traditionally had not been integrated with the clinical care team. We were able to come in and drive an integration between the clinicians and the pharmacists and provide a 360-degree view of the patient. And then finally, we delivered a sustained business model. We came up with the right processes and tools, as well as the supporting infrastructure to sustain these results over time. Any organization that's under cost pressure and looking for new ways to improve revenue can work with North Highland to deliver results quickly. So I wanna reference a podcast that I had with John Nasta, which was titled, Could Community Pharmacy Demystify digital health for big pharma. And we were noting the collaboration between physician, pharmacist, nurse, case worker, and how that 360 degree view of the patient, which was referenced by Tina, is key in transforming what it is, what it is to deliver complete patient care. So let's listen to our interview with guest host, Ron Lanton. 
Good afternoon, Pharmacy Podcast listeners. This is Ron Lanson, President of True North Political Solutions and Government Affairs Strategist for the Pharmacy Podcast Show. And this afternoon, we've got a great guest for us uh, lined up for you guys. It's Phil LaFoy of Blood Specialty Pharmacy in Maryville, Tennessee. Good afternoon, Phil. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm glad that you're able to make it on today's show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, definitely. Well, we definitely had to get you on the show because um, I remember just a couple of weeks ago, um, I heard your story at the NCPA specialty forum that they held and thought, magnificent story. I think a lot of pharmacy owners can learn a lot from Phil and the transition that he's gone through. So I'm really uh, anxious to get you on the show, ask you a few questions about your background and your business and see what our listeners can learn from you. Okay. So why don't we go ahead and, and uh, start off, you can just tell our listeners about your background and how you got started. My first pharmacy job was in a, an independent community pharmacy in Hueytown, Alabama, at Weldon's Pharmacy. Uh, I went from there, educated at Sanford University in Birmingham, had a hospital job while I was in school. Uh, after graduation, worked in the chain world for several years. And uh, one day about, I guess, 19 years ago, I get a call from the pharmacy up the street and said, I would like to talk to you about a job. And that was the owner of Blunt Discount Pharmacy. Uh, I came up the street and came to work, and I've been here ever since. Well, that's great. So tell our listeners a little bit more about Blunt Specialty Pharmacy. Um, Blunt Specialty Pharmacy is a a spinoff of our retail operation that we started in June of 2012. We continue to hear conversations around the specialty pharmacy realm. We had some friends who were in specialty pharmacy, and, and they had talked to us quite a bit about it. And we decided we needed to and all the talk around diversification in pharmacy today, we thought that's something we need to look into. So we took the big step. Uh, we moved all our long-term care operation to a freestanding operation, and we moved our specialty business into that same operation. Now, I know you're a little biased, um, but in your opinion, because right now we've we've seen how there's this transition uh, there's a lot more attention being focused on specialty pharmacy, and you've got retail pharmacy that's figuring out, okay, where is my place? Um, in your opinion, does retail pharmacy have a place in the specialty market? Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes a, another level of care. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that you have to set, set this class of business aside because of the attention that it requires. Because you can't afford to let any of these, you can't let one of facts get lost in the stack and go, oh my goodness, I should have gotten that yesterday. You've got to stay on top of it. And that's one of the reasons we saw fit to move it offsite so we could dedicate a team of people to to all the solutions that that require um, a good solid specialty operation. My next question is, with the specialty market being so focused on disease states, um, how does this benefit a pharmacist? It actually gives a a pharmacist an opportunity to use another part of our education that 
we have, for the most part, forgotten. Um, in, in some regards, at least, um, to, to kind of circle back around to our education and be able to be on the front line of disease state management. Because that, that's key to, to the specialty pharmacy industry is, is participating in disease state management to dispense these drugs that are specific to diseases to these patients who are a lot of times our, our sickest patients. And we're able to come alongside them and help take care of them. Now, it's, you know, there's no stranger to threats that exist to retail pharmacy. And I can see the very same threats in retail also apply to specialty pharmacy. With the payer community, that's, you know, the insurance folks, pharmacy benefit managers, with that particular community that places a lot of pressure on the pharmacy market, what, in your opinion, do pharmacies, especially specialty pharmacies, have to do to survive in this marketplace? I, I can think of one word to answer your question, and then I'll elaborate, and that's fight. You get, you've got to fight for reimbursement. You've got to fight for the price at the, at the purchasing level for the pharmacy. You've got to fight for access to patients. You've got to fight for access to drugs. Uh, it's, it's a big industry, and the big box doesn't like us playing in their area. But we have a place in this area, and we've got to fight for that spot. Now, you mentioned fight. Um, I know that there's a lot of <laughs> um, <laughs> legislative activity that's going on, right. a lot of regulatory scrutiny. What, what do you mean by fight to so the pharmacist that's sitting there going, I wonder what he means by that? I think we have to assert ourselves. Um, if, if reimbursement is not something that you can live with, then you've got to ask the question and you've got to push back and you've got to appeal to the payers to receive proper reimbursement. Um, you've got to be relentless when it comes to access to drug and access to, um, to lives, to these contracts. You've got to be relentless. It's easy for someone to tell you no. It's easy for a drug manufacturer with a limited, limited distribution drug to tell you no. But after several phone calls and several letters, sometimes you wear them down and you can have a little conversation. Um, I have third-party contracts today with payors that I worked on for five years for seeing getting into to specialty pharmacy. It took me five years to accomplish being in these networks. But I just... I was just relentless, and I wouldn't let these people rest until they gave us a meeting and gave us an opportunity to prove that we did have a place in the community pharmacy and the specialty pharmacy community. That's a really encouraging story because I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't know if I can actually stand up to a pharmacy benefit manager and make those calls, and, you know, it's, it just sounds like you just have to be committed and relentless. Well, the, the most painful part about that is someone telling you no, you know, uh, so you just ask again. You ask for someone else the next time you call. And uh, you just have to stay on top of it. That's right. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> That's right. In your opinion, how can a specialty uh, pharmacy or a compounder operate in today's environment post the New England Compounding Center with increased government scrutiny? And I, I ask that question for those that aren't familiar with that it was year 2012 is when you had that huge fiasco in, in Massachusetts where you had some folks that weren't doing uh, the proper protocols for compounding a drug. 
a lot of folks got sick. There was a lot of fatalities, um, which was very unfortunate. And, you know, you had the uh, Drug Quality Security Act that came out from Congress um, and a lot of state regulators, or regulations. Um, not to mention the regulators that have, you know, come out and, and, and force. How does a pharmacy kind of operate in this, in this new environment now? Well, I can speak to a part of that. Um, in our operation, we we do not compound um, sterile compounds. So so we haven't received quite the scrutiny a sterile compounder has received. Um, but it, but even at that, um, and non-sterile compounding, um, the, the just heightened regulations, heightened scrutiny. People have more questions about what you're doing. Um, Obviously, from the payor side, there's a lot more scrutiny. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you've got to operate with integrity. You've got to to stay on top of, of all your operations, be sure they're done accurately and properly so that when the questions come, when the auditor comes, you can very clearly show why you're doing, how you're doing it, and it's been done properly and the reimbursements to be re- received from the third party should reflect that. Now, two quick follow-up uh, questions from that. You mentioned sterile versus non-sterile. For our listeners that may not be aware of that, what what are the differences? So, primarily, when you think about sterile, you think about um, injections, uh, other things, eye drops, nose sprays, those type of things are also compounded in a sterile environment. Um, the, the scrutiny and the requirements for those people is tremendous today. There's a huge investment having to be poured into the facilities and the operations of those folks. Um, that one we're not in. Um, we, 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 do, um, we do a lot of oral preparations. We do a lot of topical preparations, uh, none of which have the facility requirement as sterile, um, but nonetheless, have requirements that, that they be done clean, they be done properly, accurately, of course. Um, just just a little different world in non-sterile. Okay. I'm glad you cleared that up because I'm sure there might have been a question about that, so thank you for that. The other follow-up question I, I have from um, your earlier answer, you mentioned payer scrutiny, and I couldn't agree with you more. I know that a lot of people that have switched over from retail to specialty or people that are just coming on as specialty owners um, they're saying, well, man, you know, there's a lot of different accreditations that they're asking me for, and that didn't exist a couple of years ago. Is this something that's new, in your opinion? Uh, accreditations have been around. Um, well, in the compounding world, it's something that surfaced in just the last few years, and obviously, since we've had these questions that have come up recently, a, a lot more pressure about accreditation. Um, in our specialty business, we don't have any compounding to speak of in the specialty business, so my my special I'm not an accredited compounding pharmacy yet. That's we're working on that now. I had a pharmacist um, go to a seminar this past weekend con- concerning um some um, compounding accreditation. Uh, specialty pharmacy, there are three and about to be four accrediting bodies in specialty pharmacy. Um, Accreditation is a very rigorous process. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. And, you know, 
the bottom line on accreditation is there's there's a set of standards that are established and if you meet those standards and uphold your business to those standards then you receive accreditation and this gives practitioners in the nation the comfort to know how you operate it somewhat standardizes what you do and that they know the standards you operate under they know how you do what you do and they know that you're reporting and uh, as to how you do these things, that you do them properly and accurately. And at the end of the day, it's about patient care, that we're, we're going about meeting the needs of the patient so that we can help them hopefully get better. Now, I can, I can predict a question um, from one of our listeners. Is the accreditation expensive? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if so, part two, is, is it worth it? Um, well... Yeah, it's worth it. Um, to be honest, I, I don't know if it's if it's worth the the high price that we've seen on some of these things. But you know that that's not an argument that I could have. Um, is either pay the price or you don't get in. So you see the necessity to, to do it, then you go through the process. Um, I feel like that um, being accredited has made us better in a lot of ways. It's heightened our um, our thinking as far as quality is concerned. Um, we've developed quality teams, not just in specialty, but because of our specialty accreditation, we've developed a, a pretty robust quality program throughout our organization in our retail setting and in our especially long-term care setting. I think that's that's made us all better. That's made us all more aware of some of the things that we need to look at and we need to talk about. Um, it's um, it, it's a good thing. It was if if you heard me speak, you heard me say, especially accreditation was by far the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, there are programs out there that you can pay that will help you through or walk you through the accreditation process. Uh, we opted out of that. We chose to do it on our own with our team of folks here at home, and that way we would have a, a good solid understanding of what all went into it. And I'm glad we did that. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned your team because that was one of the things that drew me to you when I heard you speak at the specialty forum in NCPA because, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to, they're like, well, man, I've got to go search high and low for, you know, a person that has this particular skill set that can benefit me or this particular skill set that's really hard for me to find. You actually took people that already worked for you and made your model work, and I thought that was amazing. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to, to have had the people that we have on staff. Um me and my partner, we, we kind of laugh looking back. Um, those people made us look really smart in the people that we put in place and, um, and, and trained in those positions. Um, the, the only person we brought in from the outside, we, ha- we, we hired a sales rep. Um, other than that, um, everyone was in-house, and we just moved in and trained, and um, they've just done a tremendous job. Well, let's switch it to policy um, after we talk a little bit about the market. What are your thoughts about a pharmacist being recognized as a healthcare provider? I know that we've, we've seen this issue on the state level with state legislation. We've seen it in Congress. What are your thoughts? I think there's a place for it. Um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of conversation as to what extent you are, um, what role you play in, as a provider. Um, obviously, whatever that role and whatever the extent of that role is going to be through collaborative care 
agreement with a physician. And I think as we practice today, uh, there's a place and a need for that. Um, through immunizations, we're already there. We already administer our immunizations under collaborative care agreement. Um, but I think as, as that role expands, I, I can, or the opportunities for that role expanding, let me say that. I see that as a real plus because uh, there, there are a lot of things that a pharmacist can do day in and day out in their practice under a collaborative care agreement that calls for a more timely treatment. Um, it makes things easier for the patient. At the end of the day, I think it makes things easier for um, the, the physician, his practice as well. Um, a lot of questions to be answered on in the big picture collaborative care. You look at the state of Washington, and, and that's a huge program there. Um, they have prescriptive authority. Um, it, it's amazing all the things that are being done there. You know, some people think that's a great thing, some don't. Um, and I think time's going to tell how this thing pans out. But I, I do see a place for um, a heightened role uh, as, as in that area for the pharmacist. No doubt about that, absolutely, especially with all the, the laws that are coming in and making healthcare such an integrated system now to where the patient would benefit from having everybody in involved. So couldn't agree with you more. Now I'm going to throw you a little bit of red meat here. All right. And uh, ask you, what's your ideal piece of legislation? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I guess... I, ideally, if we could have, get fair reimbursement for what we do, um, the, I think our, 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 the, the model that we operate under with the, the PBM paying the, the pharmacy, um, that's a flawed system. Uh, you, you think about the contracts that we see today, they're usually multi-year contracts with the reimbursement decreasing over the years. Now, do you know of anything in our country that the, the price of it is decreasing as time goes on? So that being, I don't know of anything. So that being the case, why should we be expected to accept a decreasing level of reimbursement as the price of medication goes up and um, exponential rates in some areas today? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really challenged to understand how that works and what the mindset behind it is. But we, we should have fair reimbursement. I think if, if I could get legislation, I'd say that. Um, that would be huge. That would be huge. And I think that would encompass mail order. Folks shouldn't be required to go to mail order unless they just chose to. Um, let me have the same rates of purchase as a mail order pharmacy, and we'll see where the service levels lie. We'll let the patient decide where the best care is. Absolutely. How's that? That sounds good, and I'm sure our listeners would <laughs> heartily agree. <laughs> well, Phil, if you could change one thing nationwide, what would it be? Um, I think if we could we could eliminate the preferred networks. And that would include, include mail order. Once again, level the playing field. Um, eliminate the, the rebate programs. Let us all purchase on a level playing field. 
let the patient determine do they want to come to the community pharmacy and get their prescription filled or they want to get it in the mail and have it thrown on the porch. Let them decide, let them manage that part of their health care. Because I have a pretty good feeling if all the dollars are the same, if all the co-pays are the same, they're going to get the best care in the community pharmacy level. And I think the health care dollar will be reduced because of the care that's received in the community pharmacy. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, I agree. Well, our last question here before we get to your contact information. Um, any words of wisdom that you can give to our listeners? Um, I'll speak very personally. I'm not a very wise guy, but I, I operate, I guess, on two things. Um, faith in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And just work as hard as you can. And it, and it all pans out at the end of the day. It all works. It may not work exactly the way we want it to or think it should, but if we're diligent about what we do and we're passionate about what we do, um, it all works. It all works. How do our listeners get a hold of you if they have additional questions? Um, you can reach me at phil, P-H-I-L, at bluntdiscountpharmacy.com. That's blunt, B-L-O-U-N-T. Um, pharmacy number, phone number 865-681-0520. Or my cell number, 865-617-0010. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Phil. I really enjoyed it. We're definitely going to have to have you back so you can give our listeners an update on what's going on with your pharmacy. and. Your insight, I'm sure they would appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to visit with you, Ron. It's, um, it means a lot to be able to, to share what we're doing. And, um, you know, if we can help folks um, accomplish some of the things we have, we're more than glad to help. Yeah, I, I, I really am glad that you came on because, like I said, when I saw you and I, and I saw the changes and things that you went through and just the successful store that you've become, uh, from the specialty farm, I just wanted you to come on and share that story. I thought it was great. So, thank you again. And and for the listeners, if they have any questions for me offline, um, you can always reach me by email at ronlanson3 at truenorthts, as in politicalsolutions.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at truenorth underscore ps. Uh, I'm Ron Lanson, president of True North Political Solutions and government affairs strategist for the Pharmacy Podcast Show. Thank you, Phil, again, and we look forward to talking to you soon. All right, Ron. Thank you very much. Take care.